In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner, Paige Vincent-Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to adjust your TV sets or your laptops or your phones or by whichever device you're using to stream us into your happy home. We are still coming to you from the video content factory, but... They are shifting things around. They are making things happen in here. So we are on a temporary set as we move into April for Octavia April. Yes, sir. Our annual showcase of black sci-fi and Afrofuturistic tales in name of Octavia Butler, the late great Afrofuturist and novelist herself, who Vince was um, actually blessed to actually kind of know a little bit. I didn't know her, but I did spend the day with her. I did. When we um, came to Temple, she was speaking and, and when I was a graduate student and she needed someone to escort her around for the day, just sort of be her, you know, her body man. Right. And, and I got to do it. So I did, I got to hang out with her day. I drove her to the mall. It was colder than she had planned on it being, so we drove to the mall. Did you lend her your jacket? No, 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 but she went and bought a pair of gloves. Oh, wow. We went and bought a pair of gloves, right? So we went to Plymouth Meeting Mall. Oh, that's cool. And kind of hung out all day. So, yeah. Did you get the opportunity to, to to geek out over her a little bit? You know, it's it's so funny. I One of the things that I love so much about her, and this is sort of, believe it or not, germane to what we'll be doing this this evening, is is she was open to different interpretations of her work. Okay. And there's a short story that she has called Blood Child that she has been adamant about some interpretations of it. And we had a very lively conversation about my interpretation of her story. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool, man. So so very cool. Very cool. I, I actually, well, one of my... um. One of my treasures is a business card that she gave me of hers that says Octavia Butler writer. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's dope. So. Well, in, name, uh, in honoring her, ladies and gentlemen, as I said, we are spending April focused on black sci-fi and Afrofuturist films. And Vincent has selected our film that we will be reviewing tonight. Again, I repeat, Vincent has selected the film that we are reviewing tonight from 1972, starring 
Roddy McDowell. Yes. And Don Morgan. Yes. This is Vincent's selection. Yes, it is. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yes, it is. The black movie. That's right. That Vincent. I did indeed. Has selected for tonight. I did indeed. Nope. And I did not stutter. He did not stutter. I said it with my chest. Mm-hmm. I waited over 300 episodes before I did it. <laughs> like, around episode 200, I was like, is it time for planet? Okay, not quite yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So, not yet. Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Hopefully, hopefully I've built up enough goodwill mm-hmm. that if someone disagrees with our interpretation. You see how I slipped an hour in there? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. You saw that. I saw that. It's, 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 it's your interpretation. Hey, hey, look, if people have fought wilds against you and they're mad at me too, it goes both ways, buddy. <laughs> but that's later. We're, that's later, that's ladies later. and gentlemen. But uh, first and foremost, um, we want to give a shout out to everyone that is out there watching us as we're streaming from, as I mentioned, the video content factory here in Maniunk, streaming to YouTube. Um, and all of you that are out there in the chat, hello to each and every one of you. Good evening, one and all. Um, I also want to give uh, a very special nod to comedian Daryl Charles. Hey, what's up, Daryl? I almost feel like his name is comedian Daryl Charles. I know. But he's I our know. friend. He's, yeah. he's our buddy, yeah. Daryl, who actually hit me up right as we were um, about to go live to say, like, dude, I am loving... The Class of 1989. Yeah. Which is our new uh, documentary miniseries that is available wherever you find podcasts that we're, where we look at six films that came out in 1989 and talk about how they changed the industry and a culture forever. Daryl is one of the featured voices. He is. On he that is. Uh, show. And uh, our the latest episode that came out this week was, I believe, Oh Oscar. Right? Oh Oscar is the episode that came out this week. Yeah. Where we where we and and the amazing group of participants talk about not only the Oscars from 1989, but awards in general. Mm-hmm. Awards in general, uh, not just in 1989, but moving forward. Yeah. 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 So we so great episode, if I may say so myself. Well, you just so did. I did. If you want to check that out, ladies and gentlemen, look for the class of 1989 wherever you find podcasts. We really appreciate it. And then and share a kind word with us. And thank you, Daryl. Yes, thank you, Daryl. All right. You are overdue to return to the mission. So you we are. will make it so. You are. I, I'm i in the, the midst of rewatching of things. Okay. I, right. I, I finished my maybe 20th rewatch of The West Wing a couple of weeks ago. Okay. All right. Which got me, then I, I was in a W frame of mind. Okay. So, on HBO Max. So, I then moved to The Wire. Of course. I started re- re-watching The Wire. And I realized that not only is The Wire one of the best TV shows of all time. Absolutely. Full stop. To me, it's top five. Yeah, no question. I think, arguably, top ten. Uh, look. Well, wait, you don't go from top five to top 10. No, I'm saying whoever you are. Yeah. yeah. Like it's hard pressed to put it out of the top 10. Right, right, right. And the show is so good that whenever I see shows that have to deal with some of the same, you know, topics that they deal with. Sure. You know, cops or drugs or the inner city turmoil, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. I always start watching them and realize 
eh, send me it's done better. Right. I usually kind of like, like saddle off, which is why I never got into a power frame of right. look and things of that nature. But I also realized that another one of the gifts that The Wire gave us mm -hmm. is that The Wire may feature the best pimp to ever <laughs> be on screen. And that would be? That would be one detective Lester Freeman. Lester Freeman, real police. Natural police. Natural police. Natural police. Mm-hmm. Portrayed by the the uh, the uh, unstoppable Clark Peters. Clark Peters. I don't know if you remember, and ladies and gentlemen, I, I invite you to go back to season three. Certainly, if you've not watched The Wire, you should watch The Wire if you don't know what Lynn's talking about. Go back to season three of The Wire, which deals, which is the season that everybody loves to deal with, because this is the, the, the season where Stringer Bell gets his come up in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avon gets out of jail and then they, yeah. Right. I just want my corners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just want my corners. Just want my corners. Um, and actually, now I'm thinking about it, he doesn't get his, his come up in that. He gets his come up in season, season four. Season four. Mm -hmm. um, but in season three, part of Avon getting his, cup, uh, his come up in is that they have to, the cops have to get more or less a mole yes. into his strip club. Yes. And they 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 lock on to one of the strippers named Chardine. Chardine. Young lady, probably in her early 20s. Yeah, Chardine. And they get her to break up with Avon Barksdale mm -hmm. by revealing some truths about him and that, that the world that she is inhabiting there to her. And then they slowly get her to kind of like be their eyes within the strip club. Yes. I say they, but it really is Lester Freeman. Absolutely. Who was easily 25, maybe 30 years older than her. At, at least. But dude, his pimp hand is so smooth. Look. It is so strong. Look. There is a scene where they are, all the cops are gathered around. And, the, and, and Lester's also one of the older cops. Yes. They're all gathered around talking to Chardine and they're trying to get her to go in because they need her to like, um, just tell her what's happening in the office. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. Can I get it like a, a cup of coffee? And everybody's like, yeah, sure. Get you, uh, get you a cup of coffee. And one of the other officers, I think it's her, says, yeah, let me get it. And Lester, without batting the eye, I got it. Two creams, four sugars. Right? That's right. That's right. And she just smiles. That's right. And Lester gets up with his with his bow leg itself. And everybody just turns in like, what? Hip hand, strong as hell. Pays attention to her. There are maybe five scenes in that whole season between mm -hmm. him and Chardine. But each scene is him just getting a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, until the next thing you know. That's right. Boom. She's the next season. Yeah, Lester Lee helped me with new glasses. Mm -hmm. and, and she's all up in the in yeah, the they're a couple. They're a couple. Oh yeah. He he's she is sitting on his desk. He's closing the door. Y'all don't need to see this. Oh, Lester. 
Now you're gonna make me go watch the wire. Wait a minute. Then the other pimp hand was the other pimp hand because you know Lester was famous for like play, doing the like little doll furniture, little doll furniture mm -hmm. that he sold for like exorbitant bit of money. And you see her playing with a piece of furniture, right? And he's like, "You like that?" And she's like, "It's like you keep that. You keep that." And then it cuts to what she's playing with. It's a little black baby. Mm. Pimp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's so small. Oh yeah. It's so small. Oh yeah. So that's The Wire. That's The Wire, Lee. Your last rewatch. Yeah. I'm watching Hello Tomorrow just because, you know, I'm a design freak. So that it, retro... Hey, it's not that good. Yeah, it's not. I just love the retro future design. Okay. You know, I'm a sucker for the retro future design, which we will talk about. Like, I'm a sucker for two types of retro future, like that kind of 50s depiction of what they thought the future was gonna mm -hmm, be like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love the 70s depiction of what they thought the future was gonna look like. Oh, interesting, like like Logan's Run. Logan's Run. I actually follow uh, um an Instagram page that all they do is post stills from episodes of Space 1999. Have you tried to rewatch Faith Night? I have not. I have not. I have recently. But the design. The design is, 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 is incredible. Bonkers. It's bonkers, but you. But it's so we right off. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, right. a, it's a right. dirge. Look, look. We, we got to keep it. Yes. Okay. Because okay. you know. The, okay. Because you, you know, I have copious notes. I'm sure you do. For conquest. I'm sure you of do. The Planet of the Apes. We were like, once I get into my 70s. And everybody was going to make serious Star Trek. Yes, that that's a whole different. I know, I know. At least, if I nothing do else, love April. <laughs> if nothing else, ladies and gentlemen, we've given you an idea for the reason why the the people that designed our temporary set threw up all this geeky stuff. Because like, well, I've heard the show; they always geek it out. Always geeking out. So it's not our regular guys, Terry and Dylan here. So it's people that don't really know us, and they is like. <laughs> Yeah, I think they would like Mecha Godzilla. Little do they know. Little do they know. He has Mecha Godzilla sheets. So, Love the Mecha Godzilla. So he is like right on it. So why wouldn't you build a giant monster robot? I will tell you this. All right, last last, last thing. All last right. thing. Last thing. As much as I was enjoying Godzilla versus King Kong, mm -hmm. the, the movie mm -hmm. from like what two years ago now. Yeah. When Mecha Godzilla showed up in that movie, Come on, man. I was I was ten years old. Come on, I was ten years old. Come too. on, I made they took Godzilla and they made a robot version of Godzilla. Like how pure is that? I know. Oh my god, I was so in it, man. Yeah, I remember. I was. I turned to my bull cow. I was like, Mecha Godzilla. He was like, "What you say?" Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. We're moving on. We're moving, moving on. on. Moving, moving on. on to the games portion of the moving. Keeping it moving. Top five. Who's your top five? My top five is. My top five is. Now, I try and keep this tied into the film. Sure, sure. Thematic. I'm not sure where you're going with Conquest of the Planet. Hey, buckle up. <laughs> but I surmise. That you might be looking at this as a film that could be coded as black, perhaps. 
perhaps, much as we did with the Goofy movie. Much as we did with the Goofy movie. So, what I've come up with mm -hmm. is a top five animated characters. Okay. Who you could see as coded as black. These are black characters who don't necessarily appear to be black. Right. Gotcha. Right. All right. What we got? All right. And I'm going to start with number five. Number five. Which some people may think, oh, this, this is definitely a black character. Okay. But technically it's not. Okay. And that would be? That would be Garnett from Steven Universe. Oh, yeah. She's absolutely black. Well, she's absolutely black because she yeah, does right. present as right. a black right, woman. Right, right, And Estelle does the voice. Yes, and Estelle, the, yeah. the singer, does the voice. Um, she has like that square afro. She does have a square afro. Yeah. However, she is not human. She is not human. She is a gem. She's a gem. Okay. But what she is. She's actually, spoiler, a fusion. Very true. Mm -hmm. Very true. But what she is with her look, with the gem of it all. Mm -hmm. Some would say that she, Garnett, is the essence of black girl magic. Absolutely. So thus, she's definitely- Garnett is black. Black. I 100% support this. Were you a fan of Steven Universe? I was a huge fan of Steven Universe. Me too, me too. A huge fan. I love, I love that film. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's one of the best animated shows It, it really is. Number four, Vincent. Number four. I don't know if you know this show. Okay. Were you a fan of Adventure Time? I, I was actually going to say I like Steven Universe better than Adventure Time. I think it's tighter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, but uh, I also love Adventure Time. Well, there's a character from Adventure Time. Okay. Marceline, the Vampire Queen. Yes. Who is the daughter of the ruler of the Nidalsphere mm -hmm. and... A black human woman. I was about to say she's actually biracial, but her complexion is—you know—it's—it's—it yeah. it, it's, it doesn't really right, present. Right, right, she doesn't right. present. Yeah, but that's as yeah, that's in the text. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that would make her yeah black. Yeah. Right, maybe that's that was a false one. I mean, look, I, I hadn't thought about that. I was just thinking because I mean, always he's a vampire. Talk, always time talking about Harceline. Very cool character. Very cool character. Very cool show. I turned on to that show late. Yeah, but I was like. This. Yeah, these are both shows I watch with my daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I watch them together. So yeah, good shows. Number three. Number three. Grim from the Grim Adventures of Bill and Mandy. Not familiar. I mean, I know it. Okay. But I'm not familiar with the cartoon. Well, the, well, Grim is actually the Grim Reaper. Right, right, right. Little, little itty bitty, cute Grim Reaper. Well, it's like real, real itty bitty, like right. they're itty bitty, but he's, he's kind of like taller. he's face taller, right. and he's definitely like a skull and 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 cloak, you okay. know, black cloak and everything. However, Grim, the Grim Reaper, mm -hmm. has a Jamaican accent. No, <laughs> he's one hundred percent Jamaican. Well, th there you go. Now. There's a story behind the Jamaican accent. Okay. He is voiced by a voice actor, Greg Eagles. Okay. Grimm wasn't originally conceived as Jamaican. Okay. Right? Um, but they, they wanted him to have some kind of accent. Okay. So Greg uh, just did a deep voice at his audition and put a twist on it, attempting to do a Trinidadian accent. Oh, However, it came out as Jamaican, which all of the producers said, let's just go with that. Just go with that. And thus Grimm was Jamaican. 
thus Grimm was Jamaican. And coded as black. And coded as black. All right. All right. I'll go along with that. Okay. All right. The next one, and I went for more obscure. Sure. sure. So I didn't do goofy. Right, right, right. Because honestly, I did, there's an argument whether it's like, we said a goofy movie mm-hmm. codes as black, mm-hmm. but I think that's more because of his relationship with his son. Right. As right. opposed to the character exactly. himself. Exactly. And Max's experiences. Right, right. All right. But number two. Number two. This is from Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voiced by the great Phil Lamar. Yes. Which would be Wilt. Yes. Who was um, the imaginary friend of the the basketball star on that show, mm-hmm. which who was named Jordan Michael. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No illusion. But definitely a monster. Yes. You know, with Google eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought very interesting that it... It was um, only had one arm. Yeah, but uh, and it's a voice of reason on that show. Yes, the yes. Um Despite the which, despite the wild look that Wilt has, mm-hmm. and definitely codes is black. Didn't he have like a little afro? No, it was like kind of like spiky, kind of spiky, and then his, his eyes little... popped out. Okay, of, right. popped out of it. Yeah. I'll go along with that. He didn't have an afro. Yeah, right. Okay. And number one. Number one. And this one goes without saying this is in the hallmarks. I don't care what anybody says. This character is black and everybody will agree. And that would be Panthro. Of course, Panthro. From the Thundercat. Of course, Panthro is black. Voiced by Earl Hyman. By the great late Earl Hyman. Yes. The uh, uh, Thundercats, he is the strongest. Yeah. He is always, always, always he's got a baldy, got a baldy, yeah. got his nunchucks, got nunchucks. Uh, he's the mechanic. He's a mechanic. <laughs> he sounds like your uncle. Like he sounds like uncle your Panthro. Uncle Panthro. He got a shirt that he keeps open down to his belly button. Doesn't he? He work on cars. Yes, he does. He like kung fu. Yep. He got bald head. He got bald head. He just need a cigarette hanging out his mouth with a piece of ash this long. Mm-hmm. Tell you, I'm gonna need about two hundred dollars for parts to get started, and a bottle of beer and a paper bag. There you go. That's all I need. Uncle Panthro. Panthro. Uncle Panthro. Uncle Panthro. Love it. There you go. Number one. Number one. The animated characters coded as black. There you go. Like that? I do like that. All right, cool. I do like that. So, send your characters. Email us at michomission at gmail because I'm sure there's plenty of others that we forgot. Sure, sure. I know somebody out there who's a lover of anime is yelling Piccolo yeah. all the screen. I never really saw him as black. I know my brother is yelling Jazz from the Transformers. Well, okay, there you go. Voiced by Scatman Crothers. Yeah, Jazz, most certainly. Mm-hmm. Jazz is a good one. I didn't, I, I totally sure on Jazz. That would have been a good one too. <laughs> all right. You ready for the Game of Kings? I am ready for the Game of Kings. And it's time for Six Degrees of Derville Martin. A character who coded so black that he was animated. That's the key. Why you'd be surprised what a person can do with just a sense of love touch and a sense of sound. Six Degrees of Derville Martin, ladies and gentlemen, where uh, Vincent will attempt to connect that... 70s animated cartoon himself, Derville Martin. Derville Martin. Two actors of my choice. And I tried to keep it in, in the vein of, of the movie. Yeah. 
But I couldn't find any apes to connect them to. Couldn't find any apes to connect them to. Not that would have not been problematic. No. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, real, real shaky ground the whole episode. <laughs> so I just looked at some of the top films from 1972. Oh, okay. I picked stars from there. Okay. Right. There you go. I see the connection. So, uh, number one. Number one. In six movies or less. Six movies or less. Connect Derville Martin. Derville Martin. To Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson. Now, this should, I'm telling you right now, Vincent, this should be real easy. It should, what is the cowboy movie that Charles Bronson was in? Once Upon a Time in the West. I mean, he's been in a few, but that's like the big one with Harry Henry Fonda, Spaghetti Western, Sergio. And that's what I'm thinking about. That's a well, and and, and there you go, right there. So, um, Dervo Martin is in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Catherine Hepburn, who is in On Golden Pond with Henry Fonda, mm-hmm. who's in Once Upon a Time in the West with Charles Bronson. Very good, Vince. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But you went, and that was easy. Yeah. But that wasn't the easy route that I was thinking about. I don't, here's the thing. I think about Charles Bronson in the Death Wish movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I know he made a bunch of stuff, but I always see him in Death Wish and Once Upon a Time in America. In the, in the West. In the West, I'm sorry. In the West. Um, you could have connected to him via the Dirty Dozen. Right, because that's Jim Brown. Oh, Jim Brown. It's probably the same amount of steps, though. No, that's what yeah. I said. It was so yeah. easy. Yeah, okay. I, I, but in yeah, my yeah. mind, thinking easy, I'm just going right to Jim Brown. Right, right, right. As one does. Right. As one does. All right. Very good. There you go, oh, good. Charles Bronson. So you're knocking out the knock. All right. That's one. The second one may be a little harder. A little bit more obscure. Yes. All right. Uh, because this is the star of Cabaret. And that would be Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. Well, here's the thing about Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. Oh, that's Shirley MacLaine now. I'm thinking about Rat Pack adjacent folks. Yeah, that's not Liza. Yeah, that's Shirley MacLaine. That's Shirley MacLaine or Angie Dickinson. Or Angie Dickinson. So Liza Minnelli. Is Liza Minnelli in? Well, I'll tell them you the movie from. Well, I think I, I told right, you. You said she's in Cabaret. Cabaret, and I knew that wouldn't help you. I don't even know who else is in Cabaret. I, I've not seen Cabaret in 100 years. I've never seen it. You've never seen Cabaret. I have no reason to. It seems like something. Oh, right, it's a musical. Absolutely. <laughs> says Liza Minnelli. Well, she her big movie. You know, you don't. You remember her big movie? I actually don't. With Dudley Moore. I thought she was in Arthur. Yeah. And that's with so sure, Sir John Gilgood. Yes, is in Arthur as well. And John Gilgood was also in a lot of British movies. It's not him in Batman. No, he's not in Batman. 
old British. He's just trying to think about Ritter's. Oh. <laughs> and then Dudley Moore. Hmm. John Gilgood does show up in a film that you don't expect him to show up in. Yeah, because I feel like he's in like the Muppet movie or something. Oh, that's not the one I'm thinking about. And Dudley Moore is in Eliza Minnelli. is a good one. There's a lot of dead ends. What else is she in besides Arthur and Cabaret? That's a good question. Did she do anything in the 80s? Did she? Well, Arthur was in the 80s. Okay. Besides Arthur. Uh, let me look her up. Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli is a good one. She didn't. I don't think she has like a huge filmography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair. Um, Who else was in Cabaret with her? Joel Gray. Yeah, I knew that wouldn't help you. She, they don't even really even have a filmography. It's so so small. She was in... She did voiceover for the animated Journey Back to Oz. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was in Cabaret. Right, right, Cabaret. Of course. She was in Arthur. She was in New York, New York. Um, she was also in... Arthur too. Yes, yes. On the rocks. On the rocks, right. And in 2006, she was in the O in Ohio. Oh my goodness, Chris! What else did Dudley Moore do? Oh, there's a there's a movie that should help you right away, Vince. And that would be. I, I just don't. What if if Eddie Murphy could remove one movie from his? Oh, that's right. He's in the best defense. Okay. I all oh, I think we we all try to forget the best defense. <laughs> I know Eddie has tried. Yeah, so you know, there you go. There you go. So, so make the conditions. Just make the all right. So so here you go. Derville Martin is in five on the black hand side with Leonard Jackson, who is in Boomerang with Eddie Murphy, who is in the best defense with Dudley Moore. Who's in either of the Arthurs with Liza Minnelli? Very good. Yes. Very good. Very good, Vincent. What else is Dudley Moore in? I uh, feel like he didn't have a long filmography. Not as long as you would think. Um, right. Like his big early film was um, Remember Bedazzled? <laughs> what is this? This is a real dog's list right here. It's a real tough list right here. But Arthur is the movie that put him on a absolutely put him on a map here in America. Yeah. Um, but then after that, he's in um, Love Sick, Unfaithfully Yours, Best Defense, Mickey and Maud, um, Santa Claus the Movie, because he's the actual big star in Santa Claus the Movie. He does a voice in Adventures of Milo and Otis. He he's in. It's, this is real tough filmography right here. Crazy people. Well, I mean, it goes. I actually like crazy people. It, it, it quickly. It's not Shirley McLean and crazy people. Uh, it's um, Dudley Moore and Daryl Hannah. And no, Shirley McLean. Okay. All right. Shirley McLean. What was John Gilgood in that you were thinking about? 
<laughs> John Gilgood and a host of the most famed English actors of the day. Okay. Were hoodwinked into being in Caligula. Okay. Do you see John's Gilgoods? No, you don't. Okay. No, you don't. Thankfully, no. Well, you know the, the story of that movie. I, I, oh, you know what? Not enough that I don't want you to tell it. The, the, like, all of them, like, because the movie was produced by, um, Bobby Shioni. Okay. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, Hustler. Hustler. Hustler guy. Or, or Penthouse. Bob Gushio is Penthouse. And he it was his stab at doing like a real movie. Sure. Because Caligula did have a really wild life. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um and, and Caligula was played by Michael McDowell. Okay. So, but in the putting together of the film, it they soon realized, oh, this is a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, not going to work. Yeah. But he had sunk so much money into it. Sure, he had to put it out. Oh, I do so love the, the studio only way stuff. that he could put it out and still make some type of money. Yeah, is that he interjected porn porn scenes? Yes, in right, the, right, right, movie. right, right. Like a there's a huge right orgy scene. scene. Yeah, the orgy scene that yeah. happens. Yeah. Now Michael McDowell. As Caligula, he's already doing wild stuff. Right. Like he's <laughs> punching a guy with his fist right. and ring up his ass right. the whole night. Right. But like everyone else in that movie, there are like these other scenes. Sure. Playing it straight. Sure. So it was like John Gilgood giving a speech. Right. And then it cuts to like girl on girl action. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 He probably wasn't happy about that. No. No, 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 no. But what can he do? Well, look, look. Side of God, you, Look, you sign the line that is dotted. Yes. You know what? I might watch Caligula again this weekend. Charlton Hessen said, okay, I'm going to be in the sequel, but this time I'm going to be in it. Oh, my God. I, I'm trying to think. I know John Gielgud's in there. There's a couple other, like, prominent names. Like, you're like, what? This guy, <laughs> and it's like they're in a scene, and they literally like say their scene, and then they walk out of the scene, and, and it is butts. Then it's just butts. butts. But it's just butts. Is right. right. Angelica Houston talking about how life fades away, and then she like walks off, and it's just like <laughs> just ropes. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Anyway. All right. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, and I got to say John John Gilgoods. So, you know. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Let's get into our review of Conquest mm. of the Planet of the Apes. We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. The newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular Revolt of the Apes. 
most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves. of all security forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to include the use of tear gas and sedation darts. There will be but one control method. Shoot to kill. Ready? the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! <laughs> Conquests of the Planet of the Apes. In this third sequel to Planet of the Apes, the apes turn the tables on the human Earth population when they lead a revolt against their cruel masters in the distant year of 1990. By doing this, it creates the time loop that leads to the first film. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is cinematically etched in broad, brash strokes, slashing social satire and science fiction suspense with large-scale spectacle. It's directed by J. Lee Thompson, starring Roddy McDowell, with music by Jerry Goldsmith and Vincent's selection for this stop on the Michelle Mission podcast where we review black films. We do. Vincent. Yes. What say you of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes? Missionaries, as you've probably already picked up, I'm going to say a lot of stuff in like 20 seconds. But let's be clear. In a lot of ways, this is an indulgence because I really just want to talk about Planet of the Apes, mm. which... Pound for pound, project to project, is my favorite genre franchise. Really? My favorite one. So this trumps Trek. Absolutely. Wow. 100%. Read from my notes. Plan the Apes, the entire saga is based on the 1963 French novel by Pierre Boulier called La Planète de Singe. Mm -hmm. which translates directly into Planet of Monkeys. Right. Which, if we translated it the way that we oftentimes translate, you know, the, the sort of um, prepositional phrase, we turn it into an adjective. We would translate it into Monkey Planet. Which cracks me up that we could have had a series called Monkey Planet. <laughs> but Pierre Boulet was a real interesting guy. Um... World War II vet, 
was part of the Free French Resistance. Mm -hmm. He was an engineer, a, a civil engineer by training, but he was also a spy. Right. For the um, Allies, was was captured, was in a German POW camp, and it's the experiences from his time in that camp. He actually wrote a novel, which was adapted into a film that I know you love, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Love that movie. So this is who he is. And I like to set up early that a lot of the players in the Planet of the Apes series, writers, directors, you know, in this case, the novelists, were World War II combat vets. Right. Like these were cats who killed Nazis. Mm-hmm. So that they create the type of science fiction that I loved first. This this sort of humanist kind of of progressive science fiction. You know, as humans, we have to do better. Like I've never been one of those greatest generation people because, you know, frankly, the vast majority of the greatest generation came to America and then enacted um, segregation for the next two, three decades. But there is a vein of creators, whether we're talking about Boyer, whether we're talking about Gene Roddenberry, whether we're talking about all of these who saw what bigotry and hatred can do Mm -hmm. so that when they created, they did have this sort of, again, humanist progressive slant. And the novel Plan of the Apes is, is set in the far year 2500 and some astronauts find this 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 recording of an astronaut of another astronaut who traveled through space, landed on a planet that was run by intelligent apes, mm-hmm. chimps, gorillas, orangutans, and it's it's you, you mentioned satire, but it really is more in the tradition of a Gulliver's Travels or an Animal Farm where Boyer is talking about how bigotry and prejudice can lead to um, taking advantage of people, yeah. this, that, and the other. And then the, the the hook at the end is that the astronauts listen to this story of this human who has been on this planet with these apes, and then the astronauts say, this is the most preposterous thing that we've ever read in our whole life. Who could imagine an intelligent human being? And then you realize that the astronauts are also apes. Right. The novel is a hit. 20th century options it almost immediately. Right. Speaking of these creators that I love so much, they actually hire Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone to write a script for it. Sounds apt. He writes a script. The script is very... um very much reflects what's in the novel. And he gets two notes back, which are notes that you see again and again throughout the Planet of the Apes um, adaptations and different um, projects. A, it's too preachy. Mm. Nobody's trying to go to the movie. So, so all of this social commentary, you need to dial that back. Okay. B, it's too expensive. Right. So they hand it off to um, another script writer, Michael Wilson. Another same thing, combat vet, World War II, actually got blacklisted Okay, in wow. the 50s wow. in, the, in the communist scare. He rewrites it to the version that we see where, where the planet 
of the apes is more of an agrarian kind of rule setting slash it's not as expensive to shoot. Okay. And he adds the twist that we all know so well that the end of the plan to apes, Colonel Taylor, who is the main character, realizes that he did not travel through space. He traveled through time. Mm -hmm. And that the planet of the apes is actually a post-apocalyptic Earth. Right. So you do get the social commentary of of this sort of fear of a nuclear exchange mm -hmm. that you have. Remember, this is 1968, so we're in the midst of the Cold War. Charlton Heston stars in it. And I have to say, if you take nothing from this episode, watch the 1968 Planet of the Apes. Like, this is a great film. Mm -hmm. The direction, the cinematography, we just talked about the music, the costumes um, were, were nominated for an Academy Award. The prosthetic work is still being, you know, some of the, the methods that they used. Yeah. Planet of the Apes is a, saying it's a huge hit, doesn't even really capture it. It really is a cultural phenomenon. Yes, it is. Takes the, the country by storm, arguably the, 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 the world by storm. 20th Century, obviously, sequel. What's a sequel? All of the aspects of quality that we talk about go out the window. Yep. Go out the window. Um, but the important thing about Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which, which is the direct sequel, comes out in 1970. Uh-oh, I think I activated my phone. Is that scriptwriter Paul Dean comes into the Planet of the Apes world. And he is, say it with me, combat vet um, actually used to train spies and um, special forces. Mm. So, you know, same thing. And Paul Dean is really where all these ideas come from. There's some back and forth with Charlton Heston about being in it. Charlton Heston, frankly, sees the writing on the wall. And he's like, you know, my long distinguished career, like, I'm not going to be the ape guy. So there's some back and forth about him being in it. The negotiation, what it comes down to, Charlton Heston says, I'll be in the very beginning. I'll be in the end. My character must die. Yes. And he donates his salary to charity. Mm -hmm. So Beneath the Planet of Apes is just this really bizarre film. Like after this wonderful spectacle of Planet of the Apes, where it's almost a throwback. Like, like you think about Planet of the Apes, you can show it with a Ben-Hur or, or a Tin Command. Like, it's just a big spectacle of a film. Mm -hmm. Beneath the Planet of the Apes is claustrophobic. It's underground. You've got, like, mutant humans who have psychic powers. Yeah. And, and they work like, like, like there's a cult. Or, like, it's just a really bizarre film. Yeah, you spent a lot of time away from the apes. Not a lot of apes, which not for nothing, budgetary restraints. Like they always say, you can tell the budget of an ape movie by looking at how many apes there are. Mm -hmm. How many apes have talking parts. Mm -hmm. So beneath, like you said, not a lot, it, it's, a, it's a whole lot of beneath the planet of apes with no apes. Right. Charlton Heston's character comes in at the end, blows up the planet. There's an end note at, at the end of Beneath the Planet of Apes and says, thus ends life on a third planet. 
Beneath the Planet of the Apes, while not as big of a hit as Planet of the Apes, still, still a hit. So one of my favorite details about Beneath the Planet of the Apes is that the studio execs at 20, 20th, 20th Century Studios send like like a um send a note to Paul Dean and it's like five words. Big hit, need more apes. <laughs> but they've blown the planet up. Right. So Paul Dean comes up with this this storyline and for the third film, Escape from the Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. in 1971, where three apes have gone into Taylor's ship and traveled to modern time, to the modern world of 1971. Right. And once again, it's the most bizarre film because you have like this almost dual plot where where you have, you, you know, the two apes who are the main apes and then it's like extra ape cannon fodder. But they become celebrities. Yeah, they 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 live it big. So it's like this weird prescient examination of celebrity and how absurd celebrity is. But at the same time, there's this additional plot where it's almost like a political thriller mm-hmm. where the government and the military are thinking about the implications of these apes have come from the future. So what does that say about humanity? So it's this really bizarre tension between this almost campy um, tone. And then this very dark ending. Very dark ending because what they come up with is that we have to get rid of these apes because we think that this might lead to a circular timeline where these apes who have come back in the past are going to set up the future Mm -hmm. so much so that we're going to a kill the two apes b the woman you know one of the the you know one of the 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 two of the apes are a couple so the the lady becomes pregnant so there's a huge part of the plot of this film where they're talking about murdering a baby uh they do more than talk about it well they do more than talk about it they go on the run as if this thing isn't bizarre enough they go on the run and hide out at a circus oh, where Ricardo Montalban is the ringmaster. Armando. Who wears the ringmaster stuff. All times. All the time. So it's like, you know, it's just this really, again, bizarre image of Roddy McDowell in his ape costume Ricardo Montalban in his ringmaster costume. Long story short, they kill the two apes. They think they kill the ape baby, but Armando has switched out the apes so that they just kill a regular ape baby. Yes, but it wasn't Armando who switched it out. Who switched them out? It was actually Zira. Zira, the, 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 the lady ape. The lady ape. Switches them out. Switched them out. Film ends, you realize that the, the ape child of the intelligent apes is alive and the re- reason you know is because the ape starts to talk and it says mama mama yeah. which again just really bizarre imagery mm-hmm. which leads to our fourth film 
which leads to our movie tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Conquest of the Battle of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is set 20 years after Escape. So it is a direct sequel. And Caesar, who is the, the ape baby who is now grown up, now lives secretly as an intelligent ape because in the 20 years that have passed, there was a virus that that exterminated all the pets, like dogs, cats, everything died. No pets for you. Humans, because we gotta have some pets, start to adopt small monkeys. Mm -hmm. Realize that they're smart and get bigger and bigger apes and enslave them. Yes. And this is a very provocative word, but this is a word from the text. And this is a film about the horror of slavery, the horror of, 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 of the type of brutality that comes in it. What happens when people want to be free? And Caesar starts an uprising. So that for a film that is comes in right at an hour and a half, like I think it's an hour and 28 minutes, the last half hour, one third of the film is this uprising where the apes are killing humans. They're fighting back against the police. Yeah. And it is, it is, it is shocking how politically pointed this film is in its commentary on police brutality in mm -hmm. its commentary on, on, on communities of people being disenfranchised and enslaved and taken advantage of. And let's be clear. You talk to Paul Dean, you talk to, and I guess I should know the director's name off the top of my head, but I don't, I've just rattled off so many names. Uh, Jay Lee Thompson. Jay Lee Thompson. They were all very clear. We are making commentary on the civil rights movement. We are, we are creating commentary on, 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 on sort of bigotry and prejudice and racism. Uh, famously, some of the scenes during the, the uprising or riots are filmed like some of the footage mm -hmm. from the Watts riot. So this is not inference. This is not us interpreting. This is the filmmaker saying, we are critiquing what is happening in our country right now. Now, the stand-in for black people in this film are apes. Yes. You cannot get around that. And I think it is fascinating that so many of the actors in this film are black. Like you see so many actual black people in the film, whether they're they're working at places. You, okay. You you know they're you know they're, they're people um you know, there's a woman who's working at the restaurant. There's there's one of the technicians at the ape management center that okay. you see all the time. Fair enough. Yep. The aide to the mayor is a black man. Like one of the few speaking roles by humans is a black man. So much so that I think there are more black people in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes than in any other one. Than any of the other ape films combined. It's almost like the filmmakers knew. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we say, like, understand these are apes and these are humans.
Maybe they made, maybe they actually made the fourth one to fill the quota. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> and if you cannot get over that hump that the stand-in for black people in this film are apes, I 100% respect that. I don't even know if I'm necessarily arguing that this is a black film. Mm -hmm. But this is damn sure a film about blackness and about the black experience at this moment. And I think as someone who, again, is just a huge fan of this series and, you know, just just a black man and we do this. It is frustrating to me that like nobody black talks about this movie. Like it's, this movie's just been sitting here for 40 years and like nobody black actually talks about it. Mm. Now, the one thing that I haven't talked about is the quality of this film as a film. Ah, you've buried the lead. Which is probably a good place <laughs> to say Lynn. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Conquest of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, well, uh, thank you for that segue, Vincent. Um, yeah, uh, I, we talked, you know, I, I remember that I'd actually seen this film not too long ago in the <laughs> early days of COVID, kind of like sat and watched all of the, the Planet of the Apes films. I am a fan of them. Mm -hmm. I don't kneel at the altar with you, right? Them, but I am a fan. Um, Interesting enough, though, and I'll 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 make it I'll make it quick. In watching this movie, I did find myself saying, "I don't know. I, I think I like this more than the rest of them." Okay, and I think it's be I think it's because the the social commentary that you talk about that is all there. Mm -hmm. it, it is all surface level there. Um, if you, if, and if you know what the, the, the pick at the, the pull it out, but I think it's done in a more interesting way. One of the reasons these films are all hits, all five of them mm -hmm. ultimately are hits yet. Despite that, because the, um, the movie house that was putting them out 20th century Fox at this time was going through huge financial mm -hmm. issues. That's right. Each succeeding film had a lesser budget. That's right. Even though they are certified hits. Mm -hmm. That's right. Which usually equates to a bigger budget. Sure. Or, or at least equal. Yeah. But each of these films have a lesser budget as it goes along. And I think by the time you get to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, you talk about how you can see the budgets and the costumes. In the beginning, in the first film, you've got full-on costumes and makeup with the with these um, apes and gorillas and chimpanzees, right? Um, almost on the the level of anything that you were saying. I'm just thinking practical um, special effects. Like my benchmark is the Wizard of Oz. Okay. The Wizard of Oz came out in 1939. If you're you can't get your face to look as good as the Tin Man and mm -hmm. the Scarecrow in there, you just just not good. And they do that mm -hmm. in that first one. But then with each succeeding film, 
there's less and less fur <laughs> that is showing. Yes. There's um there's uh less time like with close-ups of the faces because they can't stand up to too many close-ups right. as you get further along. And one of the things that I notice is that you also start to lose the definition that was in the feet mm. and the hands. Oh, yeah. Because the feet and the hands were decidedly monkeys, mm -hmm. you know, in, 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 in the first two films, maybe even in the, in the first three. But by the time you get to Conquest of the Lion Apes <laughs> and all of these extras, because this one probably maybe has actually more apes mm -hmm. because of the, the idea of the apes are revolting mm -hmm. at this time. So you want to show them in mass being just, you know, like just oh, almost how much they outnumber you know, their oppressors, mm -hmm. which was the big thing about slavery. Like, you know, like we outnumber them, mm -hmm. you know, we just by sheer force of numbers, we should be able to, so that, so there's more apes here, but these apes, not only are they basically just pull on mass. Absolutely. But the feet <laughs> yeah. are gone. Yeah. Oh yeah. These are a thousand extras running around in Buster Browns. Yeah. And Buster Browns, ladies and gentlemen, are just regular old Tom McCann type shoes. Mm -hmm. I don't even think they make them anymore. Right. But these are the shoes that they are with the shoes that they are wearing. They are they are wearing straight up shoes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's come to this. The look. Right. But but but. As we have often found here on the mission, is that sometimes a lesser budget means that you have to be more imaginative. Mm -hmm. You have to be more intentional about your storytelling. That's right. And there are moments in this movie that really stayed with me how uh, Caesar kind of starts rallying everyone to him to follow his cause mm -hmm. and it's not because he makes some grand speech first of all he, he he gets them to come to his cause just by in one scene sharing his food yeah oh yeah with the other other apes right they're not used to that right they're not used to his his his, ma his mannered demeanor um and then the rest of it is just they can tell because just by looking at him, he's one of us, but he ain't one of us. Mm -hmm. But there's something different about that dude. And he just shows up oh, oh, in the city and just you see his face and he's looking at the apes and they just like, I understand. Mm -hmm. Because they see the intelligence in his, in his face. They see the humanity behind his eyes and they recognize that there's probably like a... a, a a glimmer of that still was in them, even though they've had a lot of it beaten out of them, mm -hmm. right? And it's almost for a long time. There's a long time in this movie. There's no dialogue. It's mm -hmm. just him looking at these these apes and monkeys and them then uprising, right? And I was like, that's cool because that's how they would communicate. Right, right, right. That's when you and you when you extrapolate this and, and get this into like slavery. That's what we had to do. Mm -hmm. That's what we had to do. We had to 
create our own green books. Mm -hmm. We had to have our symbols that we would etch on on doors so right. that people knew that this was a safe house and things of that nature. We had to have like our own underground railroad. They got like a whole underground that they're plotting in this. Yeah, oh yeah. So it is, it is all right there. And I found myself, despite the lack of this, uh, a budget and I found myself more intrigued and like sitting up and like taking note of this, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here not only enjoying Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, but Vincent has got me saying that Conquest of the Planet of the Apes is a black movie. Look, and it is every bit a black movie because I see it. I, I I see it all right there. And it's a hard pill to swallow because of how black people have been denigrated sure, over the years. Sure, sure. And 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 called apes. Sure. Absolutely. You know, in, in derogatory terms. So it's a hard pill to swallow. But once you get past that, sure. And I and honestly, I don't think it's a big leap for you to get past that with this movie. Um and, and the reason why I don't think it's a big leap is because this is the fourth sequel mm -hmm. in this franchise, but this is decidedly the first black movie in this franchise. Absolutely, because the rest of them are science fiction. Mm -hmm. They are they are science fiction along the lines of something that Rod Serling would write, or even Gene Roddenberry mm -hmm. with the, the whole, whole allegory of it. But this is the first one that really gets down and dirty and it's no surprise that when you read about this film that black audiences love this movie yeah because yeah. they saw it well and and it's so like you said it's the fourth in the series and and you know and i mentioned that this is pound for pound my favorite sci-fi franchise mm -hmm. it is surreal to me that in the middle of this franchise because let's be clear the 70s belonged to planet of the apes like we talk about star trek but you know not to be you know star trek is canceled goes into syndication immediately the motion picture doesn't come out to what 78 79 78 70, yeah, 79 78. yeah it was really the fans mm -hmm. that kept star trek alive in that period on um, in syndication right star wars doesn't come out till 77 that's right and i would say star wars was a hit, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a phenomenon until Empire Strikes Back. Yes. From 1970, January 1st, 1970, to December 31st, 1979, Planet of the Apes was the biggest sci-fi franchise. Yes. In the country. Yes. And in the middle of this thing, for them to basically make this really arch, mm -hmm. really radical film, because we haven't even talked about the end, you know, the, the theatrical cut in the end, the apes rise up, there's been this evil governor, and, and in the original cut, the apes execute him. Yeah. They showed it to a test audience. The test audience was basically like, oh, damn, I didn't know. Like, I know he was doing all this. Yeah. So then they recut it. Mm hmm But it's still a pretty intense ending. Yeah, because he doesn't, you don't, 
You don't see him die at the end. Right. But it's very much implied that there's going to be some type of tribunal, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 But for them to basically give one of the eight movies to these guys, mm -hmm. and then they come back with this, is extraordinary. Yeah. Like, can you, if, can you imagine if, like, Thor Dark World was about Black Lives Matter? Right. Like, we're just right. going to talk about Black Lives Matter and Thor. Right. And we're going to be sympathetic towards them. Mm -hmm. Because to be clear, the film is sympathetic towards this uprising. Yeah. As the viewer, we are on their side. Yeah. That's crazy. And this is really, I guess it's the second film that plays the, 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 the apes up as the heroes of the film. Right, right, exactly. Because at right, escape, you see the shift. Right, escape, when they, you see when they the shift. Back. The right. unfortunate thing about escape, talk about dark, and we talked about it, is that they are the heroes and the martyrs. Right. And but so here, and, and it's 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 interesting that they are the martyrs um that die in at in the at the end of escape. And now you have conquest. It's almost as if the note from the audience was like, oh no, the apes should really like they they should live. They they yeah. deserve they deserve to live. And now the 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 edict is like we've got to give them that that reason. Mm -hmm. But then cut to your director's cut of them killing the governor. Mm -hmm. They like overhold oh, up. <laughs> that's a, that's whoa, a, that's a bit too far. Whoa, 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 whoa. I I I didn't. I didn't, I don't know who wrote that. We didn't write, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I do want to say a bit about the costumes, talking about, you know, like you said, the budget, sometimes when the budget is 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 low, mm -hmm. you have to improvise. And I love the visual of all of the humans wear muted colors, usually black. Yeah. Like the men always wear the, and you know, it's very much reminiscent of Nazi uniforms, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. deliberate. Mm -hmm. And then the eights have on these bright jumpsuits. Yeah. Which they borrowed from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. How about that? So, you know, they uh, kind of reused it and re and you know, I, I mentioned I mentioned a little bit uh before we started talking how I love retro futuristic things. Like this is very much a 70s depiction yeah. of the future. Well, it's interesting because it's filmed entirely, almost. It's, I think there's some parts that are filmed like on a film set. Yeah. But for the most part, it's filmed entirely in um, Century, Century City mm -hmm. in California, yeah. which is kind of like this this series of office buildings, but that have that look, you know, purposefully, that kind of like futuristic, sterile Right kind of look, right, which works one hundred percent with the universe that they're yeah. building, yeah, and it 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 really is like spot on, yeah, it 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 fits it perfectly, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I am pleasantly surprised at this. I just knew you know, I cannot believe you're on board with this i i I can't believe it either. I don't know who who it is I know it's we got different producers. I don't think I'm Len. I don't know what the hell is going on. I, I tell you, we are starting Octavia April off with a bang. I was, I was all ready to fight, but, but, but you know. So, again, I think the fascinating thing about playing the apes, 
or to keep it to keep it with within the context of the show where again it 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 just amazes me that something this radical and this overtly political mm -hmm. comes out in this franchise as you mentioned planet of the apes has never lost money never like this has been a money making machine since 68 yeah you know after the next film which is the last of the original series so you have um battle for the planet of the apes mm -hmm. there's there's a live action television show which uh, that one i don't think it it didn't last well and i don't think it's well received it's it didn't last well it wasn't well received my point is people are always green always doing something yeah. playing the apes there's a cartoon which was good which was good almost immediately they they talk about re um like rebooting rebooting it which then of course comes with the you know the the, the greatly maligned tim burton Mm. version which is not good you know i find it more interesting than you do it's but not then, good because i rewatched that too. i know i know but it made 380 million dollars yeah it was not a like big flop right it, yeah and then you know certainly the um the revamp of the past 10 years oh my god that yeah has been great that was amazing although i have to say I kind of feel like it loses something with the CGI. Like, I 100% agree with you that the apes in the clothing and the shoes are primarily a budget mm -hmm. thing. But there's something very off-putting about that image of people in these ape costumes mm -hmm. wearing the clothes they, they're still humans. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell they're humans in the outfits. Mm -hmm. And I I kind of like that it's almost it, it's it was it's almost the reverse of the uncanny valley. Yeah. Like there's something slightly disturbing about it that I think you lose with the CGI. Yeah, see, but you that is just, you know, he's just a chip. Yeah, but see, but but that's the thing. You couldn't do that. It, um, at that point with the CGI. Maybe now, because those movies are already like a, several years yeah. old. Oh, yeah. But you, you couldn't do that because, one, those movies, those, those those trio of movies are really prequels to the first Planet of the Apes movie. Sure. So this is the, the apes learning their sentience and learning their gotcha. humanity. Yeah. So it is actual apes on the screen. And you know, you can't do a guy in a monkey suit, sure, you know, on screen. It, it's just just not going to yeah. get over. I'm glad you said that, though, because part of my argument that I was ready to have with you, but now apparently we're not going to have an argument, um, <laughs> is that Conquest, mm -hmm. this film, is the real foundation for this last set of films. Yes. Like, they pulled everything mm -hmm. from Conquest, whether it's the virus, whether it's Caesar, whether it, like, yeah. all of it, it's like, real, like, Conquest, which is why I, I'm I'm such a big fan of Paul Dean in, in his ideas mm -hmm. as a scriptwriter. I, um, I, I have to say, like you, Conquest might be my favorite because it's so political, but I really like Escape because of the ideas. I see, I don't like Escape. 
I don't like I don't like Escape. I could make a series if I, if I had a television series, I would use Escape as the basis for it. No, I think that that probably is the one that you could make the, the series out of. Uh-huh. Certainly, but I don't like it because I think it's tonally all over the place. It, it really is because I mean, you talk about it. You want you want to talk frothy. It is like it is. It's sci-fi, hard sci-fi when it comes on. Then it turns in the Three's Company in the yeah. middle. And by the end, dude, it's it's like slit your wrist time. Yeah. I like are are you serious? Well, you know what it is. And again, going back to this being this money making juggernaut, I think it's almost a version of what happened with Godzilla, where they realized kids were really into Planet of the Apes. So then you had this push and pull of the tone with escape. with escape. And it really is this kind of battle between are we going to treat it the way we've always treated it? Or are we going to have, like you said, this frothy almost romp? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the other interesting thing about it, then we really got to start sh- shutting this down, is that these five movies, they come out within like about six years. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, cause Escape is 1971, mm-hmm. Conquest is 1972. And I think Battle was 73 or 74. Look, Charlton Heston and his agent saw the writing on the wall. They were like, if I'll get out of this now. I'll never get out. I'll never get out. Yeah. We'll be talking about Charlton Heston in a couple of weeks too. You know, I always say the trio of films that he made in this period. So this, Soylent Green, and of course, the Omega Man. The Omega Man. Like, I was like, if you really want to know about the disillusion and the, the anxiety that middle class white America felt during this Vietnam Watergate period of time, mm-hmm. everything you need to know is in those three movies. Because nah. Charlton Heston is very much the everyman. Dealing yeah. with all of this stuff. Yeah, that's why he kind of like he becomes the everyman. He, he wasn't the everyman earlier. Right, he's Moses. Right, 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 right. Um, would you recommend that people see Conquest of the Planet of the Apes? Surprisingly, I do not give it a straight ahead recommendation. Okay. I, I think as a you, you know, in a lot of ways, you cheated, and I cheated, because we are thinking about this film within the context of the whole series. Mm-hmm. I think as a standalone, I think by the time you get to this film, they know that it that no one is coming into this cold. Right. So for the missionaries that that, you know, watch and and you know, they just, you know, I think you guys have interesting commentary. And if you say I think you should watch this movie, I'll just watch it cold. But you know, I don't really do Planet Apes. I would not recommend this to that person. Yeah. Like that person kind of cold. Mm-hmm. Um if you are a science fiction fan, I think it. I, I think you absolutely should watch all five of the films. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I think this film is the most interesting mm. of the five films. If you fashion yourself a blurred, and you know, as we talked about with Octavia Butler and a lot of Octavia Butler's work, and you know, I was referencing Bloodchild, which Bloodchild, there are no black people in this short story. It's like an alien in a Vietnamese family. Okay. But it's very much, you, you know, talking about black stuff. You know, it's like this body horror and, you know, she calls it her pregnant man story. And 
if you're interested in science fiction like that, I think you should you should absolutely watch this. And you know, if you can't get over the wait, are you saying that black people are the monkeys in this movie? They, <laughs> maybe this isn't a movie for you. Maybe this isn't a movie. So and yourself? Uh I would not recommend Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. I do think it's an interesting film. Um, I think it is a timely film at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like how it sits within the pocket of that franchise, uh-huh. that iteration of the franchise. But to your point, the 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 linchpins, the the the, the leverage points in this film, I think, are plucked out of it and and worked and massaged and put together a lot better in the revamped Planet of the Apes. Okay. That first film. Yeah. Uh, and then I would suggest watching that, watch those those trio, that trio of film, then return, watch Planet of the Apes, and honestly, I don't think you need to watch any more. Okay. That would it. So I, I can't... Um, recommend conquest no okay all right all right right. that's where we land on conquest of the planet of the apes ladies and gentlemen and yes i stand with my with my partner vincent so send your hate mail (laughs) to the michelle mission at gmail.com that's m-i-c-h-e-a-u-x-m-i-s-s-i-o-n at gmail.com and let us think let us know what you think about us saying that this is indeed a black film or if you want to be real bold why don't you tell us on a voicemail you could call us at 215-867-9666 somebody want the real quick aside somebody hit me up with a comment i said why don't you send it in a voicemail she said i'm not calling your devil phone nothing <laughs> That's like, oh, well, well, I'm not sharing your comment then. Oh, um, boy. But yes, let us know what you thought of our review of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, ladies and gentlemen. The Michelle Mission is available on all the social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Michelle Mission. Uh, check us out. Um, the Michelle Mission is also on YouTube where we are streaming right now, subscribe to the Michelle Mission channel on YouTube, where we're putting up top five lists. We actually have two of our top fives edited into um, two cool uh, mini episodes up there. Uh, Our top five new DCU Black Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. and our top five Pam Greers of the 21st century. So you want to check them out. Look for them on our YouTube channel more interesting and fun YouTube con- content coming your way. All right. From the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made, proud members of the Podglomerate. The Podglomerate Podcast Network, they make podcasts work as we come to you live from the Video Content Factory, Philly's premier podcast home. Don't let this fool you, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a new location. Hey, this is about to get funky out here. Like, I'm, I see all the carpets and stuff that have rolled off, off, off to the side. I'm telling you, you will not recognize this joint next week when Terry and Dylan are back. They are, they, they actually moved in the, 
today they they are passed they passed out you know Terry you know he was like I haven't lifted this much weights since I was twelve so he didn't know what to do and so but next week we are going to be on point it's going to be on point right here as we continue in Octavia April ladies and gentlemen and next week it is my pick and I have an actual Afrofuturistic film for you. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, that we have actually threatened Vince. I checked. We have threatened to review this film two times. Yeah. Yeah. But things come up. Things come. We haven't been able to get to it. But next week we're doing it. It is Space is the Place. Space is the Place. Starring Sunrise. That's right. In his orchestra. In his orchestra, which means that it has to be. Yeah. Afrofuturist. Yeah. Pretty sure it was filmed right here in Philadelphia. In Philly. Yeah. Philly, Philly. That's right. Next week here on the Me Show Mission. Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>